0: I like how you can quote a verse of scripture forever, amen, and something just jump out at you and get a hold of you, amen, and uh, God gave me a sermon on a thought, so try to preach the thought God gave us, and uh, maybe somebody, maybe not here, maybe somebody out there may be able to hear and see the message out there and get saved, amen. First Corinthians chapter number one, verse one, moreover brethren. Amen. I declare unto you the gospel. So the Bible is giving a definition right here of the true gospel. It's fixing to tell us if we'll read it. Amen. Listen, a lot of people. there's a lot of gospels in the Bible. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven, the everlasting gospel preached by an angel in Revelation 14.6. you got to be careful which gospel you're, go- you're following. This is the gospel. Amen. This is preached by Paul. This is Paul's gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have what received. It's something you receive. Amen. It's not a cookie. It's not a wafer. Amen. It's something you receive by faith. It's someone. Amen. Which also you received, wherein ye stand. Are you standing in the gospel today? Where's your standing? There's a difference between your standing and your state. There's a difference between your position and your condition. And what happens is is people wind up putting position and condition together. And people will turn around and because they don't feel it today, they must have lost it. Because they don't feel it. Amen. They may have sinned and got guilty and feel bad because they've sinned against God after they were saved and therefore they think they lost it because of how they feel they're judging their standing by their condition instead of judging their condition by their position listen I am put into Christ and when I got into Christ my standing is Christ's righteousness I'm 100% declared to be the child of God a son of God through the s- sacrifice of God's son I have a standing position. Nothing I do can change that. You understand? And so I'm going to stand in this gospel. I place faith into what the gospel is and because of that, that is my standing. Hold your place there. Turn to Romans 5. Same author, same man that has wrote the gospel. Corinthians wrote the gospel or the, or the book of Romans. And Romans 5.1 Therefore, Amen. What's therefore about? Well, let's go back up a couple verses. Verse four, chapter 4, verse 24. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him, amen, that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised for our justification, therefore... Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we what? It's your position. Where do you stand? Where do you stand with God? Amen. When God sees you, where does he see you standing? Does he see you standing in the 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 vicarious sacrifice of Jesus Christ to him as your substitute taking your place and God extending you God's righteousness and God making you righteous by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So therefore you stand. How? As a child of God with God's imputed righteousness upon you or does God declare you and see you as a sinner lost without, without God? And in your righteousness is filthy rags. How does God view you? How does God see you? Where do you stand today? That's what the bottom line is our standing. It's not our feelings. It's not how we feel. It's not about what we think. It's where we've been placed by God. Amen. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which I also received wherein ye stand. Verse 2 By which also ye are saved. What are you saved by? Well, you're saved by grace, but grace hadn't even been mentioned here in the passage yet. It hadn't been mentioned in the passage. We're dealing with the passage. He's talking to us about something here. He said, by which you're also saved. What are you saved by? The gospel. The gospel is what saves you, right? And you receive in the gospel. That's that's the bottom line. Grace and blood and all that other stuff comes into other passages of scriptures we must read in. But according to the context, Paul's dealing with these people. You understand? He's talking about the gospel. Wherein you stand, you must receive the person of the gospel and what he did, and then God will impute to you his righteousness. You must receive it. By which you're also saved. Watch this. If conditional. If ye keep in memory what I've preached unto you, comma, unless you believed in vain. Right. Now what's that mean? Believe in vain. Well, it's not with your heart, it's with your head. But here, it looks like something is based upon your memory. Your memory, amen, is like a tape recorder, right? And it records events that happen and transpire in your life. Does it or does it not? You know what bothers people? Their memory. You know what harms people? Their memory. What... Why do you have bad memories? Well, you've done something bad. Well, how do you know you've done something bad? you got a conscience. It affects your mind. And you must have known what to do or not to do, and you did something wrong, and your conscience is bothered by it. Right? Okay. You also have a bad memory because somebody said something that hurt you. Right? If somebody says something ugly to you, you, you wind up remembering that individual and you'll associate that face and that individual with something that they said about you or they've done to you. That makes it a bad memory. Right? If I'm not mistaken, Miss Toby was here, went to a wedding, right? You went to a wedding, Brother Nick, right? That's supposed to be a good memory for people, right? Because it's something that's a picture of love and good things that are happening, right. right? What would leave that wedding to be a bad memory? The bride being jilted at the altar, wouldn't it? (laughs) Huh? That'd be a bad memory. That that, that would probably be a deep wound on that girl's heart, wouldn't it? You think she'd remember if she was walking down the aisle and then the preacher says, will you take so-and-so? And he goes, nope, I'm done, walks away. Huh? You think that'd be a pleasant memory for that girl and the family and all those involved? You think somebody would remember that event if it transpired? Huh? You think a woman gives birth to a baby and uh, she's in a hospital and that's supposed to be a joyous occasion and they bring that baby to her? And she goes, that's the other thing i ever seen. I ain't feeding that. <laughs> huh? <laughs> hey, hey, man, wouldn't that, wouldn't that leave in a memory on a bunch of people's heads, minds? Yeah. Listen, things happen in our life. Events happen. Things people say, things that we see, leaves an impression upon us. Right. Let me ask you a question. There's a bunch of people today that believe that that has to deal with losing your salvation. If you keep in memory. So I must keep in memory. What if I lose my memory? Do I lose my salvation? If I lose my mind, do I lose my salvation? So it can't be dealing with about losing salvation. Watch what it says Here. By which you're also saved, if you keep in memory what I've preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. See, it's something you receive. You receive Christ, you receive His pardon, you receive His sacrifice as your payment. You receive how that Christ died for what? 99% of the preachers leave that out. They don't deal with somebody's sins. They're trying to get somebody into heaven without dealing with their sins, and I'm telling you, it's an impossible feat. God expects you to deal with your sins. How do you know? Anybody remember the Old Testament tabernacle? Anybody remember the Old Testament tabernacle? You read your Bible, you know there's an Old Testament over there, and they have animal sacrifices. And when they have them animal sacrifices, before you could get in there to see God, you had to go through a judgment, a sacrifice. You had to bring a sacrifice, and that sacrifice was burnt for you why was he burnt it's because of your sin you had to confess and admit that you was a sinner and then that sacrifice was judged in your place for you then you had to go by a laver and get cleaned up then you had to enter into the holy place and then a high priest and only a substitute can walk in in your place and put blood on the mercy seat Right. You had to have a substitute to be able to do that. Right. But before you could ever get to God and see God, you had to deal with your sin yeah. and, you, and you had to see that that sin required something to burn amen. for you in your place. Amen. Listen, you want to come to God, God must make you deal with your sin. And we got preachers all over the country, amen, and all over the world trying to get people, amen, to deal with God and bypass the altar. And bypass an eternal judgment and fire for their sins before they ever see God. You can't do that. And my responsibility is to take you to the altar and show you you're guilty and get you to admit that you're guilty and that your sins require sacrifice, amen, that you can't afford yourself. And the sacrifice should be you. You're the one that should die in that spot, and Christ died for you. He's a substitute. Amen. That's what they mean—vicarious, substitutionary d- atonement. It's a substitute for you. Right. Amen. How did Christ died for our sins, according to? The Amen. The scriptures, and that He was buried, and and that He rose again the third day, according to. The See, the bottom line is: is your salvation line up to the book? Right. Amen. There's a lot of people that claim they're saved out there. Right. Amen. There's a lot of people that believe that just because somebody does a righteous act in this life that they're going to heaven. A lot of people believe because they're a member of a church that they put Jesus Christ somewhere on their building or they have a cross in their church or they have a Bible on a communion table or they participate in baptism or they participate in the Lord's Supper. Somehow that guarantees them entrance into heaven and they've never dealt with their sin and never been born again from above. But they're religious, but they're lost. Right. They're not saved according to the scriptures. Better make sure it's lined up. Do you have the scriptures? Do you have the very word of God? Listen, the devil's done soul counterfeits. The Bible said, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. By the word of God, which liveth and abide forever. Amen. Amen, amen. Now listen, I tell you what, you better make sure you got the right book. You're trying to say, if somebody led me to Jesus with an NIV, I couldn't be saved? I don't know. I don't see too many of them panning out. You say, what's the evidence somebody truly got saved? I don't know. I think there's a little bit of truth to somebody that really gets saved that there's a change. There's a transformation that transpires in their life. I believe that somehow when somebody gets saved, it it alters their life and sets them on a course. Amen. And it changes their steps. I don't see many changes going on. on. I don't see a whole lot of real Christianity out there anywhere. Hello? Hello? You know what I've been hearing a lot in preaching? A lot of preachers are trying to say, well, these Pentecostals, they're saved, and these Catholics, they're saved Catholics, and they're saved Methodists, and they're saved Episcopalians, and there's probably saved Mormons, and saved Joe Winters, and there's, everybody's getting saved through all these religions. Listen, they ain't saved according to the Scriptures. Right. Amen. Amen. How do you accidentally get saved? I dealt with a man over there at South Union Road Baptist Church. Told me he came down to the altar. When he came to the altar, he said he didn't even come to get saved. He come down to deal with God about something. And in the process, he got saved. So he got saved by accident, huh? How do you get heartfelt salvation if you don't come and deal with God about your heart and God deal with your heart? You mean you accidentally get born again? Oh, the Spirit of God, He overwhelmed me and He converted me. Against your will? No. Nope. That ain't Bible. There's a lot of people claim they got saved against their will, and I'm telling you, they're lost and they're going to go to hell. Yeah. They had an experience; they, they might have contacted something down here, but God never saves a man against his will. Right. A man must exercise faith in the gospel. He don't exercise faith in the gospel, he'll go to hell. God doesn't convert a man by the Spirit of God and then say, "Now you got to believe what just happened to you," and make their experience line up with the book. That don't happen like that. Right, you know? It's got to be according to the scriptures. And what happened is we get a bunch of men that'll sit around and study this Bible and find out they're trying to make the Bible line up to their experience. And we got all these different denominations out there and we get men that are theologically been saved 20, 30, 40, 50 years trying to re-change how they were born again. Had a dear preacher friend in here, his pastor got saved after he was been pastoring for years. And guess what? Nobody ever got saved right. And now he's got all kinds of stuff on Sermon Audio and all kinds of different things about people really ain't saved. And he's got a website and he's got a page on there. Did you really get saved right? I'm trying to tell you something. There's a lot of people that try to make this Bible line up to their experience instead of their experience line up to the Bible. We cannot pigeonhole ourselves into heaven. We either trust and put faith and exercise faith in the gospel or we don't. You must exercise faith in the gospel. Amen. What is the gospel? How did Christ died for our sins? God's going to deal with you about your sins. There's no reason to go to heaven if you don't see your need of a Savior. Amen. And there's a lot of people that's going to be on the outside because they refuse to bow the heart and the knees to a person called the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Hello? There's a lot of people that want to go to heaven. The Bible said many will seek it and not find it. Yep. There's people seeking and there's people searching and there's people trying to do the best they can, pedaling their bike and wearing funny underwear and selling literature and saying prayers, amen, and crossing themselves and, and fear it and even praying and asking for eternal life. Yeah. And they won't get it. You mean God won't give a Catholic eternal life if he asks for it? The bottom line is, is what is he trusting? Yeah. If he's trusting the church and his good life and sacraments to get him in, he won't make it. Even if he believes about Jesus Christ. It's more than just believing about Jesus Christ. It's placing faith in Christ and what he did. He that believeth on Christ. Are you trusting him? Are you resting upon him? Are you placing your faith in what he has done to get you through? You don't place faith in what he's done. You ain't making it. Right. Amen. <laughs> amen. If you keep in memory. Hello, amen. You with me? If's an awful big word, ain't it? Mm-hmm. Right? There's a lot of people, amen, that's, that thinks they're saved. If, if, if. It's iffy. And I doubt they're saved if it's that iffy. If you keep in memory. Right? Amen? That's got something to do with your mind, doesn't it? Hello? Yep. Paul's dealing with somebody's mind. He said, the gospel. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Right? What's you say there again? Let's go. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Amen, which I've what? Preached. How should they hear without a preacher? You've got to have somebody to be able to preach the gospel to you. Somebody's got to understand what the gospel is. There's a lot of religious people. Listen, Apollos was religious. He was mighty in the scriptures. He was baptized by John the Baptist, and he was on his way to hell. Right? Amen. Paul was zealous in the word. He, he believed in God. He believed in the Ten Commandments. He believed, amen, that God was mighty and just. But he didn't believe Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He didn't believe that he died on the cross for him until he met Jesus Christ himself. Right. Amen. He had a life-changing, life-altering message that happened to him, and it wasn't because he was water baptized. it's because he had a head-on collision with Jesus Christ in Acts chapter number 9. And Jesus Christ met him and came to him, and he said, and when he seen that great light, that's how Paul testified, I seen a great light. He didn't say it was great cool water that washed away my sins. Right. Now, he quotes Ananias saying something, but that ain't what Paul claims to be his salvation. Do you understand that? People are basing what a man didn't know upon a a whole denomination of salvation today. Ananias did not know, amen, that Paul was already saved and born again when he walked in. He said, Arise and wash away thy sins. And there's so many people that are going to die and go to hell trusting water baptism to wash away their sins. Hello? You better be careful who you quote and what you're quoting in the Bible. Paul met Jesus Christ. He points everybody back to Acts 9 when he met Jesus Christ, not when Ananias came in. And he met Jesus Christ, and he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Who art thou that persecutest? Or, I mean, he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. He met Jesus Christ personally in Acts 9. Amen? Yep. Amen? Right. Then he was converted. And he was changed and spent three and a half years, amen, getting a Bible education where God gave him the revelations to write 13 books of the Bible, maybe 14. Hello? You with me? Listen, he had a head-on collision with God and it altered him. He believed God. He was dying and going to hell, killing Christians because he thought he was zealous for God. There's a lot of people that zealous towards God that aren't saved. Sure. There's preachers out there preaching because that's their business. And I've heard testimony after testimony of preachers getting saved. They believed about Jesus, but they never put their faith in Christ to be their sacrifice for their sins. You got to be careful. People just don't fall into salvation. People just don't accidentally get saved. We got to be careful. Amen. Number one. Amen, if you keep in memory. You know what I see there? I see a lasting impression. Somehow, amen when a person meets Jesus Christ and when a person gets born again and when a person gets saved and washed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ amen there's going to be a lasting impression placed upon their mind that where they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God did something for them and to them right it's going to affect your memory. You mean to tell me, listen, I've been soul winning for 30 years and dealing with people, and I can go talk to people, and you ask them, if you were to die tonight, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you'd go to heaven or hell? Well, I hope so. Maybe so could be. I said, can you take me to the place where you've been saved? Can you take me to the very spot that God dealt with you about your sins and show me beyond a shadow of a doubt, amen, where you knelt down and trusted and received Jesus Christ? They can't do it. Nope. Because they didn't have a meeting with Jesus Christ. Right. <laughs> you said, preacher, you, you, you're narrow. I, I'm, I'm a narrow way Baptist. I'm a straight gate Baptist. Amen. There's a lot of people that's been through religious experiences. But where did you trust the gospel that you stand in and that you believe in how that Christ died for your sin. Listen, a lasting impression. I'll give you something about that lasting impression. You say, What? God showed you you was dirty. Where did you know that you was dirty? Where did you know that you sinned against God and you was guilty? And that you deserve God's judgment and God deserved to place you in hell. And the fear of God began to grip your soul and you begin to be scared about where you're going to spend eternity and God dealt with you about your future home, heaven or hell. And realize that you couldn't make it in because you had sinned. And fear grips your soul. Listen, that's that that thing, when fear gripped my soul, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt where I was going. Amen. Amen. January 12th, 1980, man. I began to squirm. Amen. I knew I was lost. I knew I was undone. I knew I was in trouble. I, I wanted to run. I didn't know what to do. I knew I was caught. I knew I was guilty. Romans 3.19, that all the world may become guilty before God. Amen. God wants man to come onto to head-on collision and face the facts that he has sinned and transgressed against God's laws. He has broken his law. Amen? Sin is a transgression of the law. The law will prove you guilty. You, you're a violator. You're a transgressor. Right? right? You who were dead where? In trespasses and in dead in your sins. God wants to show you you're a violator. Hello? God wants to show people they're a thief. God wants to show them they're a drunk. God wants to show them they're fornicators and they're drunkards. And, and listen, that they're violators of the Word of God. Men don't want to see it. Men are doing everything they can to get away from death trying to hide death, cover up death, camouflage death. Listen, you can camouflage death all you want with flowers and limousines and Hearst and, and satin and silk and, and uh, crushed velvet and all you want to do and not let nobody see all that that's happening. Amen? But it's a bad deal. Flowers don't hide death. They just cover it. You understand? Yeah. If you keep in memory a lasting impression, Amen. I have vivid details of the day I got saved. Amen. Amen. The man preached out of Revelation 9. How did I know that? I was a lost sinner looking for a girl and looking for a joint. I wanted to get high and fornicate. Hello, that was my goal. To go down south, find me a Mississippi girl, and we just lay around and get high. Hello, I'm just being honest what I was doing. I didn't have no goals to go seek God and find God. I was wanting to party. Man's getting quiet. Where were you at? And I wanted to listen, and God came to me. And he began to show me through that preacher that I was in a heap of trouble. Right. And that I was lost. And that God was gonna judge me. And not only was he gonna judge me, but he was gonna judge the whole world. And these locusts were coming up out of a bottomless pit, and they were fixing to sting me for five months. Not only were they going to sting me, not only was that going to happen, but then he began to go through the rest of the book of Revelation and showed me then great talents, falling down, uh, hailstones falling on me and men being scorched with fire and, and all the death and trouble and the anguish that was happening and the earthquakes. He went through that book of Revelation, and then he got me over there to the lake of fire. He said, not only are you going to die and go to hell, but you're going to go to a lake of fire. God's going to judge you because you're you. you he's going to judge you according to your works, and you're going to go to hell. And I said, man, you're right, I'm going to hell. I knew that. I, I knew that. Let me ask you. Did it leave a lasting impression on you? What was preached to you? What scriptures did you see? What Christ did you see? Did you see a Savior bleeding and dying and hanging upon a tree? A sacrificial lamb for you that took your place as your substitute? And if you would come and receive him, you could be born again? Listen, we got a lot of people watering down the gospel. There's there's 60,000 people meeting today down in Houston, Texas that will not be told what I just told you. They're going to go through a religious experience. And they're told to do the best you can and believe in yourself and be confident and be brave. Amen. And be positive. And I tell you what, they're going to die and go to hell putting big money in that man's offering plates. 60,000, two shifts of people. Well, I'll tell you what, a lasting impression. There's a lot of people that came over there to New York and today in Philadelphia. If they have a meeting of families, maybe that was yesterday, that were eating Jesus cookies, and they all want to touch the Pope, and there's an American congressman, amen, that wound up, the Pope drank out of a glass of water, you with me? The Pope drank out of a glass of water, and him and his wife, they got photographed drinking out of that water, thinking somehow drinking out of that glass, that somehow that's going to bless them. And then with the leftover water, they took that water and they went to their kids. And they sprinkled that water on their kids. Somehow thinking, that's going to do something to get them over to glory. And that's going to leave a lasting impression in their mind to see some fornicating man that's a pedophile wearing a dress, pretending to be the vicar, the substitute of Christ on earth, and somehow drinking out of his glass is going to guarantee him eternal life. I'm telling you what, that's a bad impression. There's a bunch of people today. Let's go downtown, 3rd and Main, grab you a clipboard, and let's start going down there and talking to people. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd be on shut shuttle You'd go to heaven. Well, I've been baptized. they got a lasting impression of being placed underwater and thinking somehow that's going to get them into heaven. Their faith is in the water. Their lasting impression is the things that they've done, the things that they're doing, but it's not meeting Christ. They're religious, but they're lost. What's your lasting impression? Okay, I'll tell you if you've got a lasting impression. Number two, you want to know if it made a lasting impression? Would you like to know that? <laughs> Romans chapter number 10. The Catholics will say, see there? I go to confession, really? Romans chapter number 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what? Lord the Lord Jesus. and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with a mouth confession is made unto. Amen. Did you honestly stand up and confess Jesus Christ? Amen. That I have just received Jesus Christ. I have come to the same mind as the Lord a God about my sins. And I took the substitute. I took his free gift. I took Jesus Christ to be my Lord. See, that's what baptism is all about. Do you understand that? Hello? When you got baptized, did the preacher confess for you? Did you confess? Who have you confessed that you are saved to? Do you know people that's praying for you? Did you go to them and say, hey man, guess what? I'm finally saved. I trusted Jesus. Who do you confess into? Do you confess to a lost world? Have you become a witness of your new birth? And that the Spirit of God came and dwelled in you and that you met Jesus Christ and now you go around with an honest confession and say, I've trusted Jesus Christ, my Savior. I am born again. Have you trusted Him? Isn't that a good confession? Yeah. I believe, listen, when a preacher baptizes somebody, he shouldn't say, Hey, Caleb. Yes, sir. Did you trust Jesus Christ, your Savior? Yes. That ain't him confessing Christ. No. Nope. Hello? Hello? Boy, it's getting quiet. Am I messing up your theology today? Amen. An honest confession. Did they confess with their mouth who? The Lord Jesus. Have you ever confessed the Lord Jesus with your mouth? All right, let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. You're looking at me like uh, like uh, you're in a state of confusion right now. I should be having people shout me out of the building. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, watch this, verse 3. Wherefore? I give you understanding, no man speaking by who? The Spirit of God called Jesus the curse. And that no man can say that Jesus Christ is what? The Lord. Not just Lord. That's a confession of a demonic man. Jesus I know and Paul I know. That's what a demon-possessed person said, right? A devil-possessed person. They confess that Jesus is, uh, that he is Lord, but not the Lord. No man can say that by the Holy Ghost. How many people do you know, stand up and admit, I know that Jesus Christ is the Lord and I trusted him and put my faith in what he did for me? How many people do you know that go and tell their family, their friends, their co-workers? How many of your family, friends, and co-workers know that something happened to you and they're curious and say, what happened to you? Right. You seem to be different. You're just glowing. You, what, what's the matter? What happened in your life? A lot of that stuff never happens in people's lives. They never tell their family, never tell their friends, and they never wind up sharing, amen, and I hate that word, their conversion with anybody. They want to put a lid on it, cover it up. You mean you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, and you can't tell people that you met him? I question whether they met him. A good confession, that if thou shalt believe in thy heart, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart God raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I wonder how many people actually confess Jesus. Amen. Boy, it's awful quiet. Let me ask you a question. Do you confess you as a sinner? Do you take ownership of your sin? Did you say, right, God, I am guilty. God, I'm a sinner. When that preacher preached on sinners going to hell, you, you put yourself in that seat and say, yeah, that's me, I'm guilty. I'm lost. I'm undone. Did you find yourself guilty? Did God, did God's spirit come by and say, you're guilty? Your name's not written in the book of life. You will not enter in eternal life because you are bad. You know what self-justifiers do? They begin to somehow say, well, I don't need that. I'm pretty good. I'm all right. I pray. I go to church. I've done." And they begin to start justifying themselves. Right. When they're presented with a no way out, dead end street, amen, they somehow squirm out of this thing, get out under conviction and say, well, I pray, I believe in Jesus. But did you receive him? Did you condemn yourself say, yes, Lord, I deserve to go to hell. I deserve to burn. I deserve, amen, what's coming to me and I don't want to go, God. I'm sorry. Amen. Were they ever sorry they sinned against God? Let me ask you a question. You ever tell God you're sorry? For what? What are you sorry for? What did you do in your life that you had to come before God in an altar of repentance and tell God you were sorry for what? Huh? General or specific? God ever deal with you about sin in your life to where you confess that thing to Him? If we confess our sin. Listen, you're saved with the Holy Ghost. God will convict you about sin. Amen. The Holy Ghost. John chapter number 16. When He comes, He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment to come. He deals with sin. All these preachers don't want to deal with sin. They're to be filled with the Holy Ghost. But they won't reprove the world of sin. Yeah, of unbelief. Did God convict you of unbelief? did God show you are outside the fold what's Ephesians chapter 2 say yeah it says that then what he said in times past you're what uncircumcised uncircumcised and you were without God without Christ without hope outside the covenant promise of God did God ever show you're without hope without Christ listen listen that's what happens it leaves a lasting impression when you see yourself outside the gate and the gate's shut and you're left out and you're going to go to hell oh my God people don't get gripped with that. It doesn't affect their memory because it doesn't affect their life. The gospel ain't changed them a bit. They're outside. I'm telling you if they really get saved, it'll affect their memory. And God will deal with their sin and they'll realize they're sinners and you know what? They'll want to change that thing when they get saved. The Holy Ghost will move in and all of a sudden you'll be a lover of righteousness and you'll hate iniquity. And God will give you a spiritual broom and say now sweep it out. <laughs> Listen, honest confession. Have you made honestly confessed Christ? Have you stood up publicly and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ and I'm trusting him? Have you made that confession to your family? To the person you love the most? We had a lady here. Her name was Amanda. Amen. And Amanda we prayed for over there and John John uh Uh, Mick, John Scott Mick came in and preached, and Amanda and Jeremy were here, and Amanda was lost. And uh, Amanda, uh, I wound up taking her two kids outside, and uh, Brother Mick began to start talking to Miss Amanda. And I took Jeremy outside with my kids, and we're standing out there, and Miss Amanda got saved. Her and Vicki and, and John Mick was right over there, and Miss Amanda got saved. And when she got saved, tears were rolling down her face. And she walked out to her husband. He's about six, what, three or four. And Jeremy's kind of tall. And she she stood up and looked at him and tears just rolling down her face. And she goes, I just asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. She was so rebellious against the things of God. And when Miss Amanda got saved, amen, she made an honest confession to her husband. Amen. Amen. And she left here. They went to a church over there in New Carlisle. And we seen her down at the, the banquet down here. And you can still see a change in her life. Amen. Amen. That spirit was changed. The spirit of rebellion that was in her was changed. She became a new creature, but she stood and publicly testified. I baptized her and the kids too, didn't I? Amen. You know what she did? She made a confession that Jesus Christ was her Lord. First Timothy chapter six. An honest confession. What you are. Amen. Amen. What you've done. You confess you're guilty. You confess you're a sinner. You confess you're lost. You confess that you're that you need God's divine intervention in your life. You know that you have need of it. And you know that there's no hope and nothing you can do to save yourself. First Timothy chapter six. Verse 11, But thou, O man of God, flee these things, follow after righteousness and godliness, love, faith, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou uh, art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. A good profession. Do you have one? Hello? I done messed that up. A good profession. You have a good profession. Let me ask you: have you stuck your neck out, everybody knows it. Any Any anybody know what May nineteenth, nineteen sixty eight, is? Greg Eastep got saved. Calvary Bible uh, Calvary Brethren Church over there on Indy Ripple Road. You know how I know that because he's professed it so many different times. I know it. I know Dr. Rubin was 27 years old when he got saved, right? And he got saved in March. I forget the, date, the exact, exact day, but he got saved in March. Amen? He was 27 years old, and I believe it was in 1949. How do I know that? Because he's professed and testified about it all the time. Does anybody know what January 12, 1980 is? Yeah. Yeah. That's the day I got saved, and I've told everybody about it. Amen? Mm-hmm. It's changed my life. It's done something for me, and I've witnessed a good profession. Let me ask you a question. How many people have witnessed that profession? Man, I got no evidence in my life, do I? Nobody's witnessed that thing, huh? There's no evidence in my life that there's been a change? Well, you can go ask my mom. Huh? Man, I done killed y'all. Y'all done died. Lord, help me. I'm in a dead Baptist church this morning. Huh? My uncle Fred told me, he said, something happened to you when you went down to Mississippi. I said, what do you mean? He said, somebody knocked that chip off your shoulder. You're different. You're changed. I've had all kinds of people come up and tell me, you're different. Something happened to you. People where I got saved at were telling my mom, man, you ought to see your son. He's just glowing. It was a thrill to see me get born again, a little old hippie boy, get saved. People witnessed and knew. Listen, when I surrendered to preach, Brother Bill Brown came up to me and said, We all knew he was called to preach. We just couldn't tell you today he was going to surrender. Why? They witnessed the activity of the Holy Ghost in my life. Amen. Hey, man. Does anybody witness activity in your life? Yeah, Do they see God working in your life? Is there evidence of prayers being answered in your life? Have you ever stood up and testified and said, I know I prayed specifically for this, and I'm telling you, God answered my prayers? How come we don't have people testifying to God answering their prayers? well maybe something never even happened it would leave a lasting impression I'm telling you you're under a burden and you want to ask God to save people and you want to see God do something in your life or with your family's life because he changed your life listen where's God answering these prayers when we got a true profession and people lie about it people try to come up with a bunch of junk yep. but I love it when people know that I'm specifically praying for something and they see it happen right. my kids can tell you answers to prayers of prayers in my life they can see things, the hand of God doing things. Listen, I'm talking about a true profession. I'm not here trying to exalt myself. I'm just trying to tell you listen, there's things that happen and it ought to be coming out, and it ought to be in memory. Amen. You, you shouldn't have no problem testifying about Jesus. Should have no testifying problem about testifying about God and what he's doing and working in your life and how he's moving and people that he's saving and lives that he's changing. Listen, there ought to be evidence of God. Amen. That's what fruit is. Amen. You ought to have fruit. Amen. He said, since the day you heard of it, it brought forth fruit, Colossians chapter 1. There ought to be fruit. There ought to be evidence. There ought to be evidence of life. Yep. Dead churches, Baptist churches are dead, full of a bunch of dead people. They can't even give you a holy grunt. They can't even give you a witness that God did something in their life. Right. Dead. No life. There ought to be evidence of God. Amen. I'm messing up here writing these things down wrong I apologize. I'm, I'm looking at the wrong things. Your honest confession, a good profession. Amen. Number four. This, this separates the men from the boys. A true possession. Now, when I went through the Bible Institute, Brother Nick joined the Bible Institute, going through the Bible Institute and he begins to study. You get... Schofield's uh, book on rightly dividing the word of truth. You get Larkin's stuff on rightly dividing. And when I went through the rightly dividing class over there, there's such a thing between profession and possession. There's a difference. You've got to rightly divide that. Right. There's a bunch of people that make a profession, but there's no evidence of a possession of the Holy Spirit of God in their life. There's no change. Amen. Ronnie, Ronnie Sutton preached a message years ago I heard down in Louisiana, and he preached on wearing his name yet remaining the same. Yep. There's people that wear his name. They want to identify themselves as a Christian, yep. but there's absolutely no proof of the regenerating power of God in their life. Right. They still walk the same, go the same, talk the same, live the same. There is absolutely no turning from darkness to light. Right. Amen. Amen. Listen, I was talking to Brother Caleb the other night. And uh, I was talking about something to him and when I was talking to him I said there's definitely a difference. In somebody asking Jesus into their heart versus somebody giving Jesus their heart. Right. Amen. There's all kinds of churches, all kinds of revival meetings, all kinds of people coming down that just invite Jesus into your life. Mm-hmm. There's people saying that all the time. Right. I don't see Jesus in their life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hello? Right? right. Hey, Amen? There's all kinds of people. Churches everywhere. I mean, America ought to be... Pro- Listen, we ought not have a liquor store in town. The jails ought to be shut down. There ought to be no casino over here. Listen, cigarettes ought not be being sold. Pornography shops ought to be torn down. Listen, there's so many people in Dayton over here that's going to claim to love God. How's the those porno shops exist? Where's the evidence of a true possession of God? Right iniquity is abounding it's going everywhere and if you ask people we got 400 million people in America and they say 500 million of them saved <laughs> yeah. go down south oh listen I've had preachers say they cross the Mason-Dixon line amen they said everybody south in the Mason-Dixon line everybody's made a profession of faith yeah. everybody saved everybody believes in Jesus everybody prayed and asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins they don't possess one ounce of God. Yeah, come on. They don't change the television set. Don't change the tobacco that's in their mouth. Don't change the clothes that they're wearing. Doesn't put the pornography out of their home. Amen. They all believe about Him, but they ain't had no experience where they gave Jesus Christ their heart and He changed them. Right. Listen, when when did you ever give Jesus your heart? Proverbs twenty three said, "Son, give me thine heart." Does he have your heart? You know what they say? Women give their husbands their heart. They give a man their heart. Hello? Amen. You're going to give your heart to somebody. You're going to give your heart to something. A man's going to give his heart to somebody. And you know what happens? Somebody violates our heart. Somebody breaks our heart. And then we take it back. But we take a wounded heart back. And then we try to cure that heart and put salve upon our own heart. And then we'll extend it to somebody else. There's some women that's done giving their heart to 35 guys. Yeah. And they're a basket case. Amen. Yeah. Hey she gave some to Gary, gave some to Jerry, gave some to Larry. Huh? <laughs> Curly and Mo. Hello? <laughs> but they done give portions of the heart away. Right. And then each time they give, they give less because they have less to give. Amen. And then next thing you know, they finally, on their fifth marriage, they'll say, here, you can have the crumbs that's left over from the other four bums. Right? They ain't got nothing left to give. Listen, you giving Jesus Christ your heart, he'll fix that broken heart. Amen. He'll fix that broken life. Amen. He will enter into that heart and change your life and fill you with love, joy, and peace. He will give you something that nobody else can give you. Very few people have ever given Jesus Christ their heart. That's what it's all about, folks. There's thousands of them that ask him into their life, and I see no evidence of them in their life. Right. There's a bunch of them that have been taught to go to Revelation chapter 3 and say, Jesus, you're standing at the door knocking, I invite you into my heart. But there's very very little evidence that God has came into their heart and changed their lives. Hello? <laughs> Where's the evidence of God? We're talking. About, listen, one of the things that I found years ago that I heard, they said, can anybody gather up evidence in a court of law and convict you for being a Christian? If we were to take each one of us here today and gather evidence about you being saved, why, well, attend a church? Is that evidence of a Christian? There's lost, Satan's got a false church. There's people that are religious. Catholics believe in Jesus. I was dealing with a Catholic that came walking in with this big old giant cross, about a six-inch, eight-inch cross around his neck, had a dead man hanging on it. And I was talking to him. He's very religious. And I said, hey, Frank. I said, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? I said, "How come he got a dead one hanging on a tree?" He said, "Well, he's not there. He turned it over. He's not there. He's risen. He's wearing a curse around his neck, and he's got a dead man hanging on a tree. He ain't got no hope." Hello. Every time the Catholic does a mass, guess what they do? They don't ever tell you till the Lord come, till the Lord return. They're not looking for the Jesus Christ to return. They're looking for the Catholic Church to set up the kingdom. And they're placing their faith in the Catholic Church, the custodian of their faith. They talk about Jesus all day long. Yeah. They talk about his mother. In fact, they worship her and make statues to her. In fact, they got her being a substitute mediator and matrix. Hello? They got her being the redeemer and the savior of the Roman Catholic Church. They believe about Jesus, but they never trusted him as their Lord and their savior and gave God their heart. Right. They think they're eating his literal flesh, hoping that all their good will outweigh their bad, and one day stand before Mary that she'll say, You can enter in because you ate 3,462 pieces of my son's flesh. So enter in, die of the joy of the Lord. Hello? <coughs> Amen. You drank 7,000 gallons of his blood. Enter in, die of joy of the Lord. You were baptized by somebody throwing water in your face. You were cleansed of original sins. Enter thou the joy of the Lord. That don't happen. No. They got Bible truth, but they're going to go to hell. There's a lot of people. The Mormons teach about another Jesus. They even brag about it being another testament of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And they got it from angel Moroni. And Paul says, if we or an angel preach any other gospel unto you, let him be accursed. Let him be go to hell. But then somehow, oh, they're Christians too. Oh, we ought to embrace them. They, they talk about Jesus Christ. It's another Jesus. It's a false Jesus. Right. There's a lot of people that believe the record of God. Satan believes that Jesus died rose again. Right? He knows he died and shed his blood and rose again. He tried to tell people to close the tomb and then paid people to lie about it. Satan knows Jesus Christ is coming back. Is Satan born again? No. Satan imitates Jesus Christ. He's so ate up with Jesus Christ, he's a copycat. Hello, he's a counterfeit. There's a bunch of people that's going to go to hell believing that Jesus is the Christ, but they ain't placing faith in what he did for them. Listen, it ought to leave a lasting impression. It ought to produce an honest confession. It ought to produce, amen, a good profession. And it ought to have a true possession. When a person really gets saved, things change. And there's a holiness that's produced in a person's life. Let me give you something else. In Hebrews chapter number 12, somebody gets what? Chastened. Chastened. What's chastening prove? It proves that God loves you. Number two, what else does it prove? That you're a child of God. If you don't receive chastening, guess what? Mm -hmm. You're a bastard. That means you're illegitimate. You're wrong. You're illegal. You're not really one of God's children. The evidence and proof in God's life when he deals with people is they cannot go as one of his children and go out and live in sin without God taking them to the woodshed. What else does chastening produce? It produces, when you are chastised by the Lord, right, it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness. When a ter- person's been truly chastened by the Lord and they humble themselves and they get right, it'll produce... Peaceful fruit, and all of a sudden they will prove, Amen, to be clear in this matter. Second Corinthians chapter number seven, verse ten and eleven. They'll be approved to clear themselves. They'll sit back, and say, "God dealt me with that. I'm staying as far away from that thing as I can." Amen. I don't want no part of that no more. Hey, listen, you guys can go partake it. I'm not having nothing to do with that. Godly repentance will 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 produce a change in a man's life, and it'll bring forth peaceful fruit of righteousness, and it'll produce. Holiness. We don't believe in old time holiness anymore. We don't believe somebody ought to live holy. Yeah, I'm talking about an honest pos- profession. A true possession. You possess God, you ain't going to go out and live in sin and walk in sin and do wrong. If you do, God's going to take you to the woodshed and whoop you or he's going to kill you. Yeah. First Corinthians chapter number 11. For this cause many are sick, many sleep are weak, sickly, and many sleep. God will kill them. God will kill a saint. God ain't going to let his saints go out there and trample around his blood under their feet and live like hell and go through all that garbage and truly not be saved. God is not going to let his people get away with that. Nope. Amen. We're just talking about a good profession. We're talking about affecting somebody's memory. We're talking about the gospel changing somebody's life to where it affects their memory. Right. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter number 13. 2 Corinthians, chapter number thirteen, verse three. He says, "Since you seek a proof of Christ, what speaking in me, to which you were is not weak, but is mighty in you." He said, "I'm glad. I'm glad you want to see evidence of God in my life." Hello. Is there anything wrong with me wanting to see evidence of God in your life? For though, or though He was crucified through weakness, yet He liveth. How? By the power of God. Power of God. For we also are weak in Him, but we shall live with Him by what? Power the power of God toward you. Where's the power of God in your life? Right. Where's the power of God? Change the way you talk. Change the way you think. Change the way you walk. Where's the power of God? We see so much carnality in people's lives. We see the sin. It's just oozing out of every pore they got. We see the filth and the corruption in their heart. It's just oozing out of their mouth. We see that they look at bad things. They hear bad things. They listen to bad things. They j- act and dress like bad things. We see the world everywhere in their life. Where's the power of God in these people's lives? Amen. Why should a preacher ever have to get up and scratch his head about his congregation? And say, man, I don't see no evidence of God in your life, man. Yeah. There ought to be evidence the power of God. Amen. There ought to be a deliverance. There ought to be a change. And people have a question. I don't know if I'm saved or not. Where's the power of God? What's John 1.12 say? To as many as received him, to them gave he what? Power, power to become the sons of God. Even of God. didn't believe on his name. Where's the power? Right. Where's the changing power? Where's the power that comes in and helps you get victory over sin? There ought to be evidence. Watch this. Verse 5. Examine yourselves. Whether you beware. In the faith, prove your own selves. Know you're not uh, your own sales, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be what? It's going to affect your memory. It's going to affect your memory. Hello. if you keep in memory what I've preached on you, lest you believe what? In vain. Maybe it's vain. Maybe it's empty because they don't have a lasting impression. Maybe it's empty because they don't have an honest confession. Maybe it's empty because they don't have a good profession. Maybe it's empty because they don't have a true possession. Amen. Maybe it's empty. Amen. Because they never repented of their transgressions. There's a bunch of people that are saved and need to repent of their transgressions. There's a bunch of Christians that claim they're saved living in transgressions and they think nothing's wrong with it. It just goes clean over their head, clean over their mind. They live in sin and they roll in it. They enjoy it. Maybe there's never been an honest repentance. There's a worldly sorrow. They're sorry they got caught. They're sorry they got found out. When they lie and somebody catches them in a lie, they're not sorry that they lied. They're sorry that they got found out, and they still go upon their living a life, living a lie. They're not sorry. Let's go to Second Corinthians seven. Second Corinthians seven, verse nine. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry how? After a godly manner. That ye may receive damage in us how by nothing for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, watch this. What carefulness it wrought in you? Yea, what clearing of yourselves? Yea, what indignation? Yea, what fear? Yea, what vehement desire? Yea, what zeal? Yea, what re- what revenge? In all things you have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. What God deal with you about? What matters? He talking about? Was it drinking? Was it cussing? Was it lying? Was it stealing? Was it cheating? Was it being a phony, a fake, a hypocrite? What what, what do people get repent of? What, what's God dealt with you about specifically about you're doing wrong that you need to deal with? And God proved you, and He dealt with you, and you repented, and you've proved yourself to be clear in that matter. You know what I find in churches? I don't find very many people ever dealing with God about very much on the altar. I see altars dry. I see not too many teary eyes. I see people that think that they're living such a good life. Amen. That there's so much sin and iniquity hanging on them like a Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. they got an ornament of sin all over them. they got the world all over them. When they come into church, you can smell the world. You hear the world. You see the world. But you don't see them repenting. Don't see people turning to God. We don't see righteousness exalted in our nation because we're we're enjoying a product of sin too much. Years ago they had, in Acts chapter 19, they had a burning. Years ago in revivals, amen, they used to have a barrel and people would burn things that were wrong. Burn things that were wicked. They'd burn clothes. They would burn uh, books. They would burn all kinds of junk that was wrong. They would, they would move things out of their life. And now people are embracing it and soaking it all up. There's no difference between God's people and, and the world's people hardly anymore. They look the same, act the same, smell the same, dress the same. Amen. They do the same things, go to the same events, walk hand in hand. You can't tell them the difference between the world and the church. Right. They don't want the old time repentance where we got to bring in a burning barrel and begin to start cleaning house and throwing junk in it. Yeah, I mean. They don't want to get alone with God and spend some time and confessing their sin and repenting of their sin and changing their lives. What's God doing with people about real transgression and get over their sin? Yeah. Listen, how do we know? Listen, there's a lot of people that profess to be saved, but they can't even recall they're saved. 2 yeah. Peter, and I'm done. 2 Peter chapter 1. You said, how do you know? I do personal work. I deal with people. I go up and talk to them. I ask them. I seek. Amen? I'm a soul winner. I try to reach people. I hear all the excuses. I see the fallacies all the time. I hear it all. In 2 Peter chapter 2 that's why people hate soul winning that's why people hate soul winners they don't want somebody to come and confront them right. the Bible says earnestly contending for the faith that's confrontation Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 but he that lacketh these things the things that are added to their faith these things is blind and cannot see far off and for what? forgotten that he was what? purged from his sins somehow it didn't leave a lasting memory 2 Peter 2, 1. Or 2 Peter 1, verse 9. 2 Peter 1, 9. Huh? 2 Peter 1, 9. Is that what I said, Mom? No. She got it. How come? I heard three and. Oh. Alright. 2 Peter. Right? 1, verse 9. He, the lack of these things, is blind, cannot see far off. He has forgotten that he was what? Purged from what? What did he forget? He was purged. Somehow it didn't affect his memory. Maybe it was weak, shallow. Somehow this man didn't follow on the Lord and begin to add the things that needed to add in his life. Let's go to verse 3. According to the what? His divine power hath he given to us all things that pertain to what? Life and godliness, amen, and through the knowledge of Him that has called you to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of what? The divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. How? Have you escaped the corruptions in the world? Has there been a change in your life to where have you escaped those corruptions and the divine nature, divine power of God entered into your life? He gave you all things that pertain to godliness, and, and righteousness and holiness. The grace of God teaching us to deny ungodliness. Amen. Right? Has that thing showed up? Is it coming in our lives? Titus chapter number 2. Titus 2. He said, verse 12. Verse 11, the grace of God that bringeth salvation appeared on all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness, worldly lust. we should live soberly righteous and godly in this present world. Has somebody moved in your heart, the grace of God moved in your heart to where it's changing your opinion about righteousness and godliness and holiness? Has the grace of God showed up and taught people? Listen, there ought to be a lasting impression that the Holy Ghost has moved in and done something. I don't see a whole lot of people want to talk about that. I don't see a lot of people want to talk about a conversion. I see a lot of people trying to fit themselves into Christianity, and I see Christianity trying to make themselves acceptable to the world and enticing the world to where the world can come into church and never feel uncomfortable I see a bunch of preachers today that's coming out of these universities that come out that never want somebody to feel uncomfortable when they're in church they'll never deal with sin they don't deal with where they're living at they try to make himself acceptable to people and people acceptable to them and they want everybody to come in and just feel at home I don't want no hog feeling at home in my house hello amen I don't want no Christian uh, this professing Christian to come walking in church and feel comfortable I want them to feel guilty I want them to feel the heat Amen. I want God to put the heat on them. Amen. Why do you think we don't have old-time revivals no more? Because yep. people don't want to feel the heat. Exactly. Listen, we're to in church age, aren't we? Yep. And what, what temperature are they? Lukewarm. Lukewarm. What's that mean? Cold and, hot. Cold and hot. That means it's in between, right? Yep. How do you make them hot? you, the you got to turn the heat up. you got to turn the heat up in preaching. And if people preaching don't get turned up, then God's got to put events in their lives and He's got to put them through the fire to try to get them hot to try to melt their hearts of stone. According to Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, he says, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. That's where we're at. We're living in a society that's getting colder and colder. And evil men and seducers are wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's the society that we're in. That's the evidence of the last times. And the only way you're going to get it done is red-hot, cherry-hot preaching and red-hot, cherry-hot praying. Amen? When's the last time you entered in your prayer closet and wept over lost people? When's the last time you got burdened about lost people to where you got a hold of God and you pleaded with God and you begged with God and it turned the tone of your voice to a higher volume to where you cried out to God? If it won't move your heart and you just sit there and never break a bead of sweat in your prayer life, Lord, now just save oh so-and-so. God bless you in Jesus' name. That ain't no heart in it. Amen. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We gotta turn the heat up, we gotta turn the volume up, we gotta put it on them, Amen. We gotta lay it thick on God, we gotta lay it hard on a sinner. Amen. We gotta have a loud voice to wake them up. It ain't affected their mind. Amen. We gotta leave a lasting impression upon people. And if it won't affect me, how's it gonna affect him? How am I gonna get God to move if it don't burden me? If I can't shut off my television and my radio and change my events in my life and get burdened to get alone with God and stir myself up and push my weight from the table, how in God's name is He gonna move and bless our churches? Amen. We done go to feasting and fellowship instead of fasting and praying. Yeah. Got churches all over the place that wanna have carrying buffets and our preachers are come wallowing in, man, of some big blimp. And we say that's spirituality, and they're gluttonous pigs. We need it to change people's lives and our gospel's powerless because it won't move us. It won't change us. It won't get us on our face. It won't get us weeping around an altar and begging God. Listen, they has got to get turned up. Got all kinds of people make professions of faith and they walk out and they live as they always lived. Never changed nothing. Their prayer life ain't affected. Our prayer life ain't affected. It doesn't turn, amen, make our shoes want to walk to somebody and carry the gospel to them. What good's our profession if it won't burden our feet to walk out after a sinner and try to tell them about God? You mean to tell me you're Satan and born again going to heaven, sitting on your blessed assurance, and it doesn't move you to go witness? It won't take your feet to burden your heart about a sinner and carry the gospel to somebody? I'm telling you, it's probably false. They ought to move us yeah, amen. we ain't moved right. you gotta turn the heat up people don't want to heat up people don't want red-hot preaching people don't want to move out of their lazy boy and off their soft recliners people don't want to get out of the comfort of their own house they don't want to shut off the television where they get burdened and pray and beg god you know what churches used to do they'd leave the doors open so people come and pray People don't come and pray anymore. People don't gather and pray. Christians ain't stirred to pray because we want to enjoy all the play pretties and toys of this world. We want to fit in and we ain't burdened about the lost or affect us. i leave a lasting impression. You need to call it praying through. When was the last time you prayed through? Yeah. When you contacted the throne, right. and the throne signaled back, said, "I hear you loud and clear." We do we we do all the talking when we pray. We read our prayer list, go through the motions, Save our conscience. That I did the job, but did He move? Did He answer? Is He changing? Is it affecting my hands? Is it affecting my feet? Is it affecting my eyes? Is it affecting my ears? Is there a genuine change? Amen. You got so many people going through the motions. ain't affected their memory. It doesn't affect where they sit, where they stand, where they go. Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor siteth scornful. But his delight shall be in the law of the Lord. Yeah. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Yeah. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water bringing forth his fruit in his season. Whatsoever he doeth shall I prosper. Right? Yeah. And his tree also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall I prosper. Don't ungodly are not so. But like the shaft which wind the wind driveth away. Listen, I'm talking about how we're gonna turn the heat up. The heat's got to be turned up. The pressure's gotta be put on sinners. And if there ain't no pressure put on the saints, how's it ever gonna be put on the sinners? Right. That's what old time preaching does. It puts pressure. Yeah. You know what they don't? They don't want pressure in these meetings. Right. They want offerings. Yeah. They're afraid to turn the heat up and put pressure on a saint because he's going to leave my church and go to the country club church where they got volleyball and basketball and gymnasiums. Hey man, they got all the fun. And they got all the food and all the supper, and there ain't no pressure there. They don't pressure nobody to live for God, they don't feel the heat and they fit into a lukewarm society so preachers are backing off. Right. Repent of their transgressions. That's what we need. We need old time repentance. Amen. We need people to understand where they've sinned against God and how they, that thing needs to be dealt with. Yep. You know, you would have to give an account of it, the judgment seat of Christ. Not only the good, but also the, yeah. not only the sins of commission but the things that we omit in our life. What if God took a temperature thermometer, amen, and checked out your spiritual temperature? Is it hot or are you cold? You lukewarm? What if, what if he uh, checked your prayer life like he does, like these people do a lie detector test? Wonder what kind of graph your prayer life would come out? Would it be flatlined? If he checked out our heartbeats? I'm talking about, Paul said, if you keep in memory, it ought to affect our minds. Yeah. Our minds ought to be zealously affected. There ought to be such a conversion in people's life. There ought to be such a cry at prayer meetings. There ought to be people testifying and memorizing things that are happening, events that are happening, and how God's moving. I don't hear much of that anymore. Do you? Do you hear about it? guess you don't hear about that. Not much happening, is there? What a condemnation in our life. There ought to be something happening, shouldn't there? We're, we're so filled with the news broadcast and hear all the junk that's going on around the world. We know all about the junk and all the so called purge of ISIS and everything else. We don't hear much about activity happening in our country other than our churches are falling away. And somehow we're comfortable with that. Father, we love you. Father, we sure do need you tonight.